Welcome back on Evil Edge for the second podcast on blockchain. For today's episode, we will continue to hear from Mike Cooper and Valentine Gandhi, but we are also joined by ES board members Tom Link and Elena Lapa for more questions. Elena, do you want to start us off? Michael, I love how you help our listeners to unpack the use of blockchains in relation to evaluation, as well as understand related risks and opportunities. But I wonder, how do we actually develop an evidence base uh, with the help of the blockchains? And mm -hmm. uh, what type of typology of evidence we can produce? By sector, for example. And uh, I'm also interested about the level of complexity. Blockchain is a fashionable word, but when is more appropriate to use a blockchain compared to a standard database? Mm. Yeah, so I think that this kind of goes back to our previous discussion about really understanding the role of, of ledgers uh, within international development and uh, evaluation specifically. When you look at, you know, why people have used the blockchain in lieu of something else, I think it's for a variety of different reasons. You know, blockchain is a high purpose, multifunctional technology, right? Just as ledgers are. Um, I mean, we use ledgers for everything. And so I think that when you start to ask about, well, when could a blockchain apply? Well, I think you have to first ask yourself, well, are we using a ledger? And more oftentimes than not, you are. When you look at the value out of the blockchain as a data management system within, like, for example, public utilities, um, which we've talked about, a lot of that is around the increase in transparency that the blockchain affords should result in an increase of accountability uh, for that utility, right? To go out and actually make those repairs and uh, provide that service that, that they're responsible for. Because now all of their data is out in the open. People can look at it. Um, you know, so the blockchain as a data management system has a lot of uh, counter corruption uh, functionality to it, whether, and that's whether it's a financial service or whatever type of service. But at the same time, there's other value add that the blockchain uh, uh, has for much uh, smaller and maybe even more commercial purposes. So, for example, you know, but Wells Fargo is one of the biggest financial uh, providers in the world, and they use very tightly controlled blockchains that are in-house because it introduces uh, uh, much greater security for their, their data and uh, it's just a lot easier to manage in-house than a lot of their pre-existing uh, systems. And so when we talk about when we should use a blockchain, you know, it really does kind of depend on, on the sector, but I think that I'm not sure if there is a sector that isn't already using a blockchain in some way, shape, or form. So thank you very much. I understand that trust and security provided by blockchain as, is uh, a key, and um, as well as understanding of the particular sector. But coming back to my question about sectors, uh, you already mentioned the financial sector. Are there other sectors, especially um, in development, uh, that can benefit from blockchains? So I think that you know there's been a big push within international development to use more blockchains as your management tool for supply chains. Um, and the reason why is because the ledgers that we use for supply chains, currently they're, 
you know, there's not a lot of automation involved. I think that as we've started to kind of geotag assets within supply chains, as they move through the supply chain, there's been a level of automation that's been introduced. But one huge value add of the blockchain is this idea around smart contracts, which is literally just automated contracts that are, that are coded um, to where if these certain conditions are met, then this happens, right? So when you look at current supply chains, you know, we can think about the supply chain as an ecosystem where we're targeting a specific behavior, right? Of different actors within that supply chain. We don't, we want people to not have the produce sit on the dock so it spoils. And so we establish an escrow account to where, you know, if the produce sits on the dock and this one actor is responsible for it and the, the produce spoils, then, you know, money is taken out of that escrow account, for example. But that's a very long drawn out process, right? So with something like a blockchain and the use of a smart contract, that produce can have different types of, you know, sensors that can measure the quality of the, the uh, asset through, you know, temperature gauges and timelines so that if, you know, that produce does sit on the dock for a while and it does start to spoil and we know that it's in the hands of this one actor on the supply chain, well, you know, all those sensors can automatically feed data with into the blockchain and the, the smart contract on the blockchain is coded that says, look, if, you know, this produce is exposed to these temperatures for this prolonged period of time, well, then automatically money is taken out of, of the escrow account. And so all of those functions that used to just take uh, all these, uh, these uh, intermediary services, right, these third parties uh, that, you know, suck up time and, and money and resources, that's all automated um, with the use of a blockchain, which is why within supply chain management, that's probably besides uh, financial services, supply chain management's probably been the field where blockchain has had the most impact because it introduces um, this automation. And thank you very much, very interesting. I see that blockchains also increase transparency and equity. I would like to pass uh, a word to Tom, um, who I'm sure have very interesting questions to you as well. Hi, Mike. Gosh, that was uh, a really interesting set of ideas for us to go away and play with and work on. Um, as you might know, particularly with the European Evaluation Society, my passion is around how do we uh, create the evaluation community into more of a learning and sharing community. Part of that in relation to uh, blockchain is developing a shared topology and we've we've talked a bit about that already i was wondering what ideas you had about how we as a community of evaluators might work more closely together so that we can share uh, our not only our understanding but share the the uh, evidence base and build that evidence base and get away from the idea that what we need are lots of one-off evaluations yeah. and move towards the idea of building an evaluative understanding of blockchain as a as a wider concept yeah yeah i mean i think that you look at how we build evidence bases now and mm. you know we think about 
you know, it takes a lot of time and, and money and, and, and people power to go and design our evaluations and, and carry them out. And we have all these really strict uh, quality controls and, you know, and, and a lot of times we're kind of, uh, you know, we get an analysis paralysis, right? Where if it's, we're really hesitant to roll out this evaluation because it costs so much and it has to be perfect. Um, and then sometimes it falls apart, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it generates learning, sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, when you think about the cost effectiveness of generating the learning points within our evidence base, it's really high. And I think that as we start to use blockchain more and more, I think there's actually a lesson from how evaluators have had to start to integrate themselves with more data science, right? And so I think that, you know, Michael Bamberger's written a lot about this, you know, data science right now is really driven by uh, technologists, by mathematicians, by computer scientists, you know, game theorists and et cetera. Um, and they're the ones that are really kind of driving the analytical models to go and perform the analysis on this, this big data. And part of the reason why they're kind of driving the train right now is because, you know, evaluators and other social scientists, we haven't really developed uh, the terminology and that, those kind of bridging skill sets where, you know, as the coders are within data science, as the coders are, you know, developing the, these models, you know, the evaluators aren't really there to inform that, that process because we just don't speak the same language. I think the same thing applies with, uh, with blockchain. You know, as we talk about, you know, token design and, and the governance rules for blockchain ledgers, you know, that conversation and that process is really driven right now by technologists. So if blockchain is going to lower the barriers to experimenting uh, with, uh, you know, token designs and the incentive mechanisms, et cetera, you know, as evaluators, we really need to kind of bridge that gap and develop those common protocols and terminology and quality control mechanisms with the technologist to where when it does become time to change the code, right, which is the change in the incentive mechanism or whatever that change is, that the vision um, of the evaluators and that evidence that we've generated actually makes it all the way through the process to where it's accurately reflected in the change in the code, um, which is something that data science is, is dealing with now. And as you know, tokenization and, and token economics becomes much more of a, uh, a mainstream practice, it's gonna be something that we have to do within that space as well. Mm, that is so interesting. And the, we talked earlier, Valentine was asking about uh, blockchain as an evaluation object and also as an evaluation approach. I guess what you're talking about is actually a creative blurring of those two different elements that, that in evaluating and developing evaluative strategies, evaluation strategies for evaluating it as an object, we might also be drawing on blockchain as an approach to help us do so. Um, have you got a sense of who, where leadership in this might come from or is your hope that there will be this uh, a creative synergy of different ideas and approaches that will come together. How do you see this shaping up in the coming few years? 
Mm. So, I mean, I think that data science has a lot to offer us in terms of kind of how to bridge this gap between the technologists and the, the social sciences. Um, and so, and especially when we talk about the uptake of evidence into decision-making, right? And so if the decision-making here is, well, how should we change the, the experiment or how should we change the, the approach? Um, we have to make sure that that decision-making is, is, is joint. There's been a lot of, you know, tokenization and, and token economics has really is really an emerging field. There's a few, you know, research centers set up and and things like that. But uh, it's, you know, a lot of the research and the thinking right now within the field of of token economics uh, is really driven by by technologists, um, which kind of surprises me to be honest. Because you know, we started this conversation to talk about. We started talking about uh, how prevalent the use of tokens and ledgers and ecosystems are in our everyday life, much less, you know, we frequently use them within international development. So I think that probably a first step that we can take is actually looking at international development and really getting a better understanding of how we're already using tokens and ledgers within ecosystems to target certain types of behaviors. And I think that kind of one, and I think that that kind of learning helps us better understand the functionality of these tools. And then we can bring in this, this blockchain discussion of like, well, if blockchain is just this uh, mechanism that we're gonna use to create tokens cheaper, faster, better, you know, what is the implications of that on evaluators to, to inform that, that process? I think that we're going to have to really start to get comfortable with uh, a lot more hard sciences that that drive the technology because we're going to have to figure out how to to use the tool. Thank you so much. That's such an exciting agenda, I find. Um, and I'm going to hand back to Mariana. Thank you, Tom. I'm really um, thinking about all these uh, concept of the role of the evaluator in this new uh, reality with all the new technologies and how is it that we can remain um, valuable to the community despite all the advancements. And it really seems that it, we need evaluators in subjective minds more than ever, right, um, Michael? And I think maybe we could uh, end this podcast with a final um, remark on what is it that we need to do, uh, learning and recognizing all these fast-pacing changes. What is the, the role of, of, of evaluation and what is your call to action? Mm. You know, I think that as we move forward, building this, this, this bridge between evaluators and, and, and technologists is really crucial. We've already seen this like massive saturation of technology into not only the interventions that we evaluate, but the actual measurement tools that we use to do our evaluations. You know, I think that the evaluation field could really uh, benefit from accepting this technology because I think that it is inevitable that uh, it's going to become a bigger and bigger part of, of what we do. Um, and so we just have to become 
comfortable. It's, I think it's going to be a little bit of a culture shift, to be honest. Um, I think that evaluators tend to be very slow moving and very plotting, which isn't mm-hmm. you know, necessarily a bad thing. But if the function is to design to learn so that we can learn to design, right, which is, you know, we have to design our, our interventions to maximize the learning so that we can learn to design the intervention. So, and I think that that's been a reflection of where, you know, evaluators have had to uh, further immerse themselves into designing programs, much more formative research and evaluation that's, that, that's quicker, that's faster, that's meant to build the plane as, as it's flying is, is the common saying. It's, so I think we've already been in the midst of a culture shift, right? Where a lot of the, the silos that used to be between evaluation and program design and implementation, those are being broke down. And I think that part of the reason that they're being broke down is because we realize that you know, social change is really hard. Um, and so if we can lower the cost and make it easier to keep trying new things to induce that social change, um, we, well, one, we should, but at the same time, it, it, it still needs to be informed. And I think that it, it is the role of the evaluators to inform that process. So we just have to be a lot more comfortable with uh, quicker, more formative or developmental thinking that has a lot more of a uh, behavior change focus, focuses a lot more on mechanisms of change um, to where I can totally see this, this future where the role, there's not this, this dividing line between evaluators, program designers, implementers, it's it's much more uh, cr- there's much more cross pollination going on out of necessity because now where we roll out a new iteration of a program or an intervention you know it takes a lot of time and money and resources um, whereas in the future producing a new iteration of an intervention you know version 2.0 3.0 etc it's going to be very fast and I think it's going to be very fast whether we like it or not. So I think right now we just have to really focus on, you know, how do we stay relevant within this, this quicker process? Absolutely, Michael. And uh, that's a wonderful way to, to end with this. Um, we need a level of specialization that enables us to work in multidisciplinary teams and mm-hmm. uh, address this fastness. Well, thank you so much for being here with us. And thank you, Alina. Thank you, Valentine. Thank you, Tom, for such interesting questions that kept us on and on and on. I really hope we can continue this discussion through ES channels. So thank you so much one more time. And I really appreciate all the time that our audience has spent with us. And I hope we were up to your expectations. Thank you for your support.